0: Welcome back to Series 2 of the HR Grapevine podcast, the podcast series that takes an in-depth look at one of the most fascinating, important or divisive HR stories from over the last week. I'm Sophie Parrott, online editor at HR Grapevine, and each week I'll be joined by a different HR journalist as we explore the contemporary practice and most pressing debates in HR within a short 10-minute podcast. So, join me as we properly pick apart what it means to work in the people function. Today I'm joined by Dan Cave, Head of Content at Executive Grapevine Digital Media. So welcome back, Dan, and Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year to you as well, Soph. Um, I'm excited to be invited back for the first time in 2020.
0: So in this week's podcast, the story that we're going to discuss is one which we covered earlier this week, which was titled Job Seekers Told to Disclose Parents' Jobs in Diversity Push. So the the story goes that BBC hiring managers were requesting prospective candidates to disclose more information of their background um, within the application, such as where their parents work, what qualifications their parents had, and also where they were educated um, as they kind of strived to recruit more diversely. Um, It was also reported that a 14-page document now asks candidates to divulge whether their parents went to state-run, non-selective or independent fee-paying schools in a bid to hire a broad and diverse range of candidates. In an open letter um, that was published, the broadcaster explained, the BBC has pledged that by 2020 we will hardwire diversity into everything we do, both internally and for all those who make programmes for us. Um, According to The Express, there is a possibility for candidates not to disclose the information using a prefer not to say option. However, it has been reported that this will actually halt the application process. Um, But it seems that this isn't the only time that the BBC has hit headlines over its workplace practices. Um, Just a few stories that spring to mind include the furore over equal pay. Um, So recently, the presenter Samira Ahmed um, won an equal pay tribunal. Um, but the broadcaster was also battled with um, a wealth of diversity complaints and criticisms over lack of transparency in in the past as well. Um, so obviously, while the new application process for job seekers may be deep-rooted with good intention, Dan, do you actually think this is the right way for organisations to truly hire in a diverse manner?
1: I am going to do a terrible politician's thing and answer <laughs> your question with a non-answer. But basically Love to it. say that... The BBC are always going to be an interesting weather vane because, as you said, they've received so much attention about whether they're actually diverse, whether there are almost inbuilt and structural inequalities regards um, gender pay gap. Um, There's some high profile cases that have made national news. Um, So it's interesting now that they are reacting in a way that they are, I think, they or they believe rather that it appears to be preventative. So they're saying at the application stage, tell us what background you are. And I'm sure they're already collecting data about ethnicity and gender on yeah, an I'm application sure form. Are. Usually people disclose that to show that um, or rather to stop any potential inequalities happening. Um, another reason it is interesting is because the BBC is such a big institution and it gets so much media attention, as we've said, that actually this case is fairly indicative of wider patterns in hr about try about companies or organizations either wanting to show that they're, they're diverse and improve or improve genuinely their diversity um i think this actually is because businesses now re, nowadays realize that diversity whether it's ethnicity gender class disability Neuro- di- n- yeah. neurodiversity neurodiversity <laughs> yeah. exactly is one more complex as we've just shown it's Businesses are really cognizant of the fact that it's, it's wide and diversity can be visible or invisible. Um, but secondly, and I guess importantly for them, that diversity is good for business. And that's pretty inarguable nowadays um, that diverse firms. Um, there's a Harvard Business Review study from a few years ago that diverse firms are able to solve problems faster. Really important on this really quickly changing business landscape. Uh, Deloitte found a few years ago that diverse firms have higher employee engagement. Um, And like in HR, engagement is almost the silver bullet to productivity. So that's really important. Um, I think as well, particularly in the BBC case, is because they attract so much criticism anyway, I think this comes from a genuine place of wanting to say, look guys, at the ground level when people are coming into our firm, we're trying to get as much data on them as possible, whether that is ethnicity, gender, disability, and in this case it appears to be class background by asking your parents what your parents did for a job or whether you went to, you know, a private school or a public school. Yeah. um, Public school, sorry, private school or state school, rather. um, That they're genuinely trying to mitigate against that and against all the, you know, the unseen ways in which, you know, people's careers might get suppressed or you might be paid different amounts. In fact, um, although we all know about the gender pay gap um, because of gender pay gap reporting in the past couple of years, which was brought into law, um, there's actually... A class pay gap as well um dr sam freeman who's professor of class and equality at lse which is a really fancy title and daniel lorison who's assistant professor at a american university wrote a book last year um basically that laid out um also what i could tell from the 12 or so pages that i could read for free on amazon prime (laughs) um that There is a 16% class pay gap in professional and managerial jobs. So basically, it's saying that people from working class backgrounds or lower class backgrounds, actually, even if they're doing the same job and rise to the same levels, are paid a lot less. So maybe the BBC is trying to mitigate for this. Potentially. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I, I basically agree with what you said first off, is that this appears to be a positive step for the BBC. Because and almost like inevitable because they've borne the brunt of some pretty big pay inequality stories in the past few yeah. years. And if we lead on from some of the research from the professors that I've just laid out, it makes sense that they're both doing something about potential class pay gaps as well as the gender pay gaps because they're anxious about it and they don't want any more bad headlines.
0: Absolutely. And I think um, a lot of the points that you, well, I say a lot, all of the the points that you raise are, are really valid. Um, and I think a lot of people have kind of critiqued this and said that it it's a good kind of movement that they're actually taking diversity more seriously, but I think a lot of people have actually questioned the, the way that they... and the methods and the tactics that they've adopted in order to get them to, you know, a place of true diversity. So um, once we published the story, um, it garnered a wealth of um, interaction from our readers. One reader actually questioned how appropriate this was, stating that it might actually constitute as a form of positive discrimination... Um, They continue to say your parents went to university or were managers, therefore you are not fit to work here. But if you are working from a working class background, then we'll take you on. How completely stupid is that? Is what they said. Um, They continue by saying you should always employ based on skill and the person's ability to do the job, not because of who their parents were. And I think in some sense, some may agree with that. Um, Some may have a completely opposing views. Yeah. So another one of our readers said that employers should be hiring who they think is best at the job rather than as it were forcing diversity i mean what are your thoughts on that dan
1: um i am going to do probably break the cardinal rule and that is disagree with that the couple of comments we've got there from our readership so um sorry <laughs> this goes out <laughs> heartfelt to the readership sorry um but i do it from a from a research based and a data-based background which is that the data shows that the working world as it is is not as diverse as it could be and there are inequalities built into it so what the BBC are essentially at the application stage is getting a bit more data on a potential employee. And we all know that innovative, high-performing HR departments nowadays are data-driven. So to get more data on your employees is a good thing because that would allow you to see things like, oh, we pay people from working-class backgrounds 20% less or we pay women 15% less or whatever it is. And it allows you to correct that, which is going to have untold benefits, as the research shows, for your employee engagement, for your employer brand, for the way you appear on the jobs market. So to me, this is a really positive thing, um, if it is genuine.
0: Yeah. And I think actually this brings us on to the next section of the podcast, which is all around kind of recruiting tactics that other organisations have adopted in a bid to achieve complete diversity. For a lot of organisations wanting to truly attract a diverse workforce, they've introduced blind hiring to remove any and all identification details from a candidate's CV um, in a way that they can actually evaluate the candidate based on their skill set and experience. Um, According to some research, which was done by Be Applied last year, um, companies utilising blind hiring are 22% more likely to have a diverse workforce, um, while those in the top quartile for gender diversity are 21% more likely to financially outperform those in the bottom quartile. So um, for ethnically diverse companies, the likelihood increases to 33%. Um, And actually, when we were chatting to a recruiter for an interview with our sister site Recruitment Grapevine, Amanda Bone, who is the founder and CEO of F One Recruitment and Search? Previously said on blind hiring that hiring managers and recruiters should not need a name, age, or gender in order to decide someone's suitability. And I think I think that is in many respects true, but I think there are still a lot of companies, arguably, getting it wrong. Um, and particularly when I've looked at the mixed reviews of the BBC's new diversity drive. Um, Although, as I said, it is most likely deep-rooted with good intention, I think there is a lot of speculation about whether or not this is the right way of actually achieving that.
1: Yeah. um, Actually, I think you've hit a good point. It's the right way of achieving it. Like, what the BBC have done is just one approach to it, and so is blind recruitment. But actually, they both come from the apparent good place of wanting to correct diversity issues. So they're almost like two opposites at the end of the extreme of trying to fix diversity, aren't they? So one is saying we want to get as much data on the candidate as possible to try and implement you know a more diverse workforce or try and improve pay across class or ethnicity or whatever it is and the other is saying actually i want to hide as much information and get as least least data as possible on the candidate just so i can see oh they have the right skills for it my personal preference not that you asked is that the bbc might be the right way because getting as much data on a candidate as possible say you have someone who went to Eton and got, I don't know, AAB at A-level and someone that came from a really impoverished area um, and say was a woman from a BAME background, structurally, they've got so much going against them. But if they got BBB, you know, if you could write that or like equalise, you might go, actually, that's worth a little bit more and they've got more potential. Now, I'm not saying this is the same yeah. for every case. That's just my gut instinct based on this and based yeah, on that's, some that's of that that's that's a fair point
0: I think, um, just to add to that, My only concern on that would be that it could be deemed a form of positive discrimination. But then again, with a lot of recruiting tactics, the same could be said for those as well. Um, But this actually brings us on to the last section of the podcast, which is kind of focused around what UK law states regarding non-discriminatory hiring practices. So if we look at the um, 2010 Equality Act, what does it actually state, Dan, in terms of hiring, giving candidates an equal opportunity?
1: So the Equal Pay Act uh, 2010, which I'm sure most of our audience will be aware of, brought together a variety of different discrimination and equality legislations into one easy um, act. Um, It gives women and men the rights to equal pay for equal work and it protects a a variety of different characteristics, which means that things can't be discriminated against, say, for instance, in recruitment processes, such as, I guess, like disability, uh, gender, ethnicity. Interestingly, though class isn't on there. Yeah. And I know it's a contested subject of which level is someone working class or what They're middle class or whatever. So it would be difficult. But yeah, I guess the point there is that there is no protection yeah, for, um, for class.
0: Yeah. yeah, like you say at the moment, class isn't included within the Equality Act 2010, but that doesn't mean that employers should discriminate against candidates just because there is no legislation there.
1: Yeah, of course. And I guess most um, forward thinking or just ethically practiced or or savvy (laughs) employers won't be doing that at all however um I had a quick look at levels of inclusivity for different professions um knowing that you invited me to speak on this one about class and the BBC and it's probably right that the BBC are looking at class because according to a 2017 social mobility commission review journalism has the second least level of class inclusivity um which basically means they they aren't hiring enough working class people and that's again if you're working in hr in any of these professions as well maybe it's something you should be looking at like the bbc yeah. are looking at and that's um medicine so i guess for any medical recruiters out there um life science professionals which i guess kind of feeds into pharma um law management consultancy and academia are apparently all of the professions which have uh not the correct levels of inclusivity of class i say not the correct levels not as good at being as inclusive as others
0: unfortunately that's all we've got time for today hr grapevine wouldn't exist without your continued readership and engagement with our content whether that's through our daily newsletters, monthly magazines, webinars, live events, or market-leading research papers. So, to find out more or to sign up to our daily content newsletter, which also showcases solutions and best practice answers to all of your HR issues, please visit www.hrgrapevine.com.